It is January 4th, 2023, and welcome to episode 165 of Fault Lines, the national securities podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. Also, Happy New Year. It is now the first episode of Fault Lines after the start of 2023, and the team is back together. You can't see the excitement, but it's overwhelming here. You can feel it. <laughs> Through the podcast. Back and better than ever. <laughs> Um, since we've taken a little bit of a holiday break, there have been some big developments in Afghanistan. Uh, first, the Taliban banned female students from att- attending universities, which was an extension of a ban on female students from secondary schools that came out earlier in 2022. And then less than a week later, the Taliban issued a ban on women working with NGOs, uh, which are non-governmental organizations, which is huge. Aid programs support more than 28 million people in Afghanistan and provide anything from food, healthcare, education, and other critical services. And while the ban does not directly apply to the United Nations, many UN programs are carried out by NGOs. So they're, in fact, falling under the umbrella. Already major NGOs such as Save the Children, International Rescue Committee, and Care International have suspended their work. And in total, the UN says 86% of the 151 organizations that have been surveyed either have stopped totally or only functioning partially. In response, last Sunday, a senior UN official in Afghanistan met with the deputy prime minister of the Taliban to discuss the ban. And of course, governments across the world have made statements condemning these recent policies. However, the Taliban so far has shown no signs of reconsidering the bans. On top of this, uh, an article came out in Foreign Policy earlier this week that shed light on the potential misuse of millions of dollars of Western, including USAID by the Taliban. Claims that the tens of millions of dollars that are flown into Kabul every week are in fact not distributed for humanitarian aid, but um, remain under the control of the Taliban. So that raises a few questions, right? So one, um, are we really surprised by the recent policy announcements? Um, Was the international community maybe a bit naive to think that there'd be, you know, to put faith in a more moderate Taliban after the takeover in 2021. I'll jump in right away. This is a total catastrophe. The U.S. should not have pulled out a year and a half ago. Anyone who said the Taliban will be moderate or govern well was delusional. Uh, this situation was entirely predictable from a couple of years ago when we be and, and even during the Trump administration, when this whole effort to pull U.S. troops out of Afghanistan began. Let's let's be fair and bipartisan here. This is the fault of both Trump, but particularly Biden, the Biden administration. This was a huge mistake. And we're in a huge dilemma right now because we care more about aiding the people of Afghanistan than the people, than the, than the Taliban government, which governs, let's remind ourselves, at the point of a gun. They do not have the consent of the governed. This is a thuggish autocratic group. They care more about uh, keeping foreign groups like the United States and our aid organizations out of the country than we care about aiding their people. So there's, there's a huge dilemma here. I know we're going to get to kind of solutions in a second or possible solutions in a second, but this is, this is a huge, huge problem that was entirely knowable two years ago when we began this process of pulling out of Afghanistan. So you actually, so you actually think that the Taliban wants to push out NGOs? Like that's that's their end goal? Of course they do. They want to be totally self-reliant. They want to get U.S. and international influences out of their country. This is the nature of the Taliban itself. They want to be totally self-reliant and reject all values from outside their country. I mean, look, I think I think Les is exactly right. I mean, I think the, this is a huge problem. You think about it. We provided over a billion dollars in humanitarian aid last year alone. The United States uh, by itself put aside the rest of the international community. And a lot of that, you know, humanitarian assistance, assuming that, you know, just that, that you know, it's not all just going to the Taliban and, and the drug trade and the like, which, which and terrorism, which is probably a, a serious concern. But assuming you know, some of it's actually going and being delivered through the aid organizations, I mean, these aid organizations 
rely on a diverse workforce. I mean, the, the IRC, the National Rescue Committee alone has over a thousand female employees in Afghanistan today. Um, you know, the Norwegian Rescue Committee over five, nearly 500. I mean, like they're implementing these programs. It's impossible for them to work um, with a ban on women. So I, I think Les may very well be right. I, I was skeptical when he first sort of said it that, oh, you know, they're trying to kick NGOs out, but I don't see what the other outcome could be. Um, and then the question is, well, how does the U.S. and the international community react to that? Because if they do continue to shut down operations the like, the people of Afghanistan suffer, the likelihood of extremism and terrorist attacks against the United States and our allies are likely to rise. So what, like, what do we do about it is my, is my concern. But before that, before, like on Les's point, I guess I'm a little bit still skeptical because I was very skeptical when Les first brought up, but still a little skeptical. I mean, Afghanistan is facing already a severe economic crisis. You, you re- remove the billions of dollars of aid that are coming from Western nations and particularly the U.S. I mean, isn't that more fertile grounds for, you know, extremist recruitment? And I mean, the Taliban's already worried about the number of ISIS attacks that have been going on throughout the country. I think the answer to your question is we need, we need to, at least for the purposes of thinking about the dilemma of Afghanistan, kind of get out of our preconceived notions and try to get into the heads of the Taliban and what they see as their priorities. They don't care about the welfare of their people the way that we do. They, they think about it in a completely different way. They have different priorities. They have a different value set. They think about the challenge from ISIS, which is a concern for us, by the way, and a very big one in a way that has nothing to do with the way we think about root causes and poverty and misery and that kind of thing, producing support for ISIS. That's not how they think about it. That's not how they're going to think about it. That's not how they're ever going to think about it. So we need, and if we're going to really address this problem now in the very limited set of options that we have because we pulled out, we're going to have to start being a little more sensitive to the way they think about it. I'm not saying that they're right at all. They're totally wrong. But we have to think about, we have to put our heads in their space, think about the reasons that they're motivated to do certain things, and then address this in a more sophisticated way. We need to avoid shibboleths and kind of a dualistic approach and condemning things across the board and refusing to get involved and pulling out, because that is bad for our interests. Our interests are two things, the welfare of the Afghan people, particularly women, that, and half of their country is basically now in a position of slavery. It's terrible. And, and secondly, the security threat that could emanate from Afghanistan if ISIS prevails or some other more radical group prevails in Afghanistan, we actually need to deal constructively on the ground. That's going to mean suspending a little bit of our usual pontificating and moralizing and deal with things on the ground probably indirectly through other actors, through other countries, neighbors of Afghanistan in more subtle ways. That's what we're looking at. I just think that's so wrong, Les. I mean, this is this is basically the Neville Chamberlain approach to Afghanistan, right? Like, oh, we should just you know, we can understand how they think about it and how they why they hate women and why they support terrorism. And I mean, what, this is crazy, Les. I mean, like, like we've spent we've spent thousands of American lives, right? Billions of dollars, right? And by the way, we tried your approach. The last time the Taliban were, power, were in power in the late 90s, we tolerated their banning of women in education and public spaces, the outlawing of music, television, sports, right? We we did this thing, right? And it we got we got 9-11, right? Like did that your your approach to this last this sort of like we need to like avoid a dualist approach. There's only one right answer, and the right answer is this is not acceptable, right? And we're not we're not doing it. I also think what's interesting is like where do we draw the line? So right now it's women not allowed to go to university, it's women can't work in NGOs, and the dramatic impact that's gonna have. What if it just escalates more? Is it we're going to continue working behind the scenes? Is there ever a line where like, no, this is not okay. We cannot continue to support operations, continue to provide aid. I mean, where does it stop? Exactly. Jamil, the, the thing that you talked about is exactly what we didn't do 
when the Taliban was in charge before. We took a totally hands-off approach. We said, we can't deal with these people. They're terrible. We'll have nothing to do with them. We did a lot of moral posing and posturing, and it got us exactly nowhere. And the lunatics took over. They launched attacks in the United States, and here we are. Now, we very much limited our options because we pulled out. So I recognize that like this is not at all an ideal situation. But the best option right now is to go for the lesser of two evils. That means, yes, we can condemn what they're doing in public, but I'm the ground, we need to have a more sophisticated approach that deals with neighbors and tries to mitigate the effects of these terrible decisions made by the Taliban. And let's just point, because I, you know, recent articles have pointed out that you have heads of NGOs, even a few of them calling for perhaps a solidified front on ceasing operations across the NGO community to try to maximize their impact and um, pressure on the Taliban. So are you saying like that's just, that's not a good option, that's not going to work? The NGOs are going to have to do that. They have values of their own, and I recognize that, and I, and I work in my day job with some of those NGOs, and I totally respect what they're trying to do. I think on the ground, these kinds of groups are going to have to find ways to get help to the people who need it and support the things that we need to support on the ground. It, and it's going to have to be indirect. It's going to have to be a new way of doing things, but we should try to be a little sophisticated about it. And Les gets the final word on the first episode of 2023. Congrats, Les. And that's a wrap. Thanks to Gabriel Otis and Brooke Agacon from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us again on Friday for another great episode of Fault Lines, our podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debates shaking up America. And if you like what you heard, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.